Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Amen. People don't always remember what you say. But they will always remember how you made them feel. Chicago Tabernacle feels like home. So I don't know if I can belong here or not, living in Springfield. But thank you for your openness, your heart and passion for the lost. Thank you for supporting your ministerial team and loving your pastors that God has placed here as shepherds. Amen. So it's a great day. There are three words I want you to remember. Out of this service today, first word is grace. Everybody say grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So much of the worship time was focused around grace. How many have already experienced that? You've been changed. Amen. No, 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 wait a minute. How many of you were somewhat of a scoundrel before Jesus saved you? Come on. Yeah, there's a guy got two arms and a leg up back there. I wouldn't be here if it wouldn't be for grace. My dad was a high school dropout. Started drinking at an early age. Became addicted in his young adulthood. Married mom when he was 30. Led her into a lifestyle, working in the oil fields of southeast Texas. Very good at what he did, but very undependable because of his addiction. He became more and more dysfunctional. They didn't have children for seven years. Doctors said they wouldn't. So I was somewhat of a shock to their system when I was announced. (laughs) But it really caused him to start to ramp up his desire for sobriety. His thoughts... How can I be an effective dad in the condition that I'm in? But no matter what he tried, how he tried, how hard he tried, he was bound. Bound. Six months before I was born, he and mom had been to a celebration, 4th of July. He'd been drinking. Driving home on a little country road, he thought he was having a heart attack. That's what he thought. His chest was tight, constricted, perspiration. And his thought was, I'm going to die and not see that child. The second thought was, I'm going to die and I'm going to wreck this car. My wife and this baby, not yet born, could be killed or hurt. So he slowed the car down really slow. Mom had no knowledge of what he was thinking or doing. And underneath his breath, without her knowledge, he said, God, I don't know how to pray. But my mother used to pray, and if you heard her prayer, maybe you'll hear mine. Spare my life to see that child. In other words, heal me. Then he said something that's a unique approach to the salvation experience. I don't know if anybody else has ever done it this way. But then he said, if I ever take another drop of liquor as long as I live, I want you to poison me and let me drop dead. Now, if God took him seriously, that was a death sentence (laughs) because he'd never kept a promise with regard to stopping drinking. Grace. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Jesus looked down past all of his failures and his broken promises. And, and in one split second, he went from sot to saint. <laughs> That's what grace is all about. <laughs> you don't deserve. You didn't earn it. But because Jesus died for you, you've been changed. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. So if you wonder why we're singing and praising and we're a little bit happy and rambunctious, it's because we've been changed. We've been redeemed. Grace has touched us. Second word I want you to remember is providence. Everybody say providence. I call it supernatural scheduling. Supernatural scheduling. You say, well, I'm just here because it's customary. Maybe I'm here. Somebody invited me. Maybe I just came in. No, 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 no. There's a plan. Before you even born, God knew about you. My dad, as unconventional as it seems to be, his conversion, let me tell you what else was unconventional. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water, started his discipleship process but somehow I don't have the time to tell you the whole story but six months or thereabouts after his conversion they appointed him pastor of a church before he had ever preached his first sermon now they don't do it that way anymore <laughs> maybe shouldn't have done it that way then but God schedules stuff supernaturally sometimes. And if God qualifies you, there's not a devil in hell that can disqualify you. Aren't you glad he's got the plan and not you? <laughs> Supernatural scheduling. You say, but I don't have the right gifts. I don't have the ability. I've got too many things in my past. I'm not educated. The devil will give you a half a hundred things that would disqualify you from doing what God's called you to do or commissioned you to do. But can I tell you, Satan is the father of lies. When I was eight years old, I mean, <laughs> when they gave Dad this church, I guess they figured it was so little he couldn't mess it up. I mean, when we're talking about little, we're talking little bitty wouldn't hold 80 or 90 people. We didn't, he didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. He didn't have a deacon board. We didn't even have a foyer in our church. You the in or out of our little church. <laughs> There's a little town called Sour Lake, Texas. When I was eight years old, he came to me and he said, son, you're our new pianist. <laughs> I said, but I'm only eight. He said, but you're all we have. <laughs> See, sometimes you get volunteered. <laughs> Because there's nobody else. I said, but I, I'm just eight. He said, you've been taking lessons? I said, I've taken a few. He said, well, the lady's been teaching you as the church pianist. Her husband's transferred out of town. She's got to leave, and you're it. I said, but I only know one song. He said, uh, don't worry. We'll sing it every week. <laughs> Supernatural scheduling. I mean, just some things don't make sense. 
Now, I'm for study, and I'm for education, and I'm for process, and I'm for all of that. In fact, I'm part of a group over in Springfield, Missouri, that kind of creates all these hoops for people to jump to before they can get credentials and all that. I, I, I get that. But sometimes, God just steps in and does the unordinary. And I believe there's some people in this room right now that if he hadn't been that kind of God, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> My dad said, you know, if you'll, if you'll sit there on the piano bench and you will pray for God to teach you those other songs. I mean, you know, I only knew one. <laughs> he said, we'll sing them a cappella, and then you pray that God will teach you how to play them. You, you know what a cappella means. That's a Latin word that means we don't have a piano player. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> So he had such faith because he had had so many miracles happen in his life. But I can tell you that one did not occur. <laughs> My mother had a better idea. Take lessons and practice. <laughs> and so that's how I started. I played the piano around the world. Somebody says, well, entertainment? I said, no. If David could play away the evil spirits of Saul on a harp. There's no telling what music can do. So, so before I uh, bring you a word, I'm going to play. Because I believe that when you are given a gift, a talent, an ability, use it. Well, I'm not as good as... Use your gift. There's nobody in this room that God cannot give an assignment to. Now, we want you to sit and soak, and if you're hurting, we want you to be soothed, and we want you to get well. But after a while, you've got to move away from being a spectator to being a participant. I mean, this is kind of like, like a football game that we're going to see later today. 80,000 people in the stands desperately needing exercise. And 22 people on the field desperately needing rest. <laughs> so I'm just saying, you can't just sit and soak because if you stay there too long, you'll sour. You need to sit and soak and serve. <laughs> Pastor didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> That's not the party line. That's the truth. So... I decided that if God gave me a gift, I'm going to exploit it. So I, used, I play all kinds of music, but I think this song is appropriate for right now. So if it's okay, if it's not, in four minutes, it'll all be over. <laughs>
I believe his truth is marching on. Amen. That's a revival song, not just a patriotic song. Amen. I want to talk about a very sobering subject today. Why do bad things happen to good people? Haunted by the plight of African children suffering from famine, a young man named Steve pulled out a Life magazine cover depicting two children tormented by starvation, and he asked, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those kids? Instead of taking time to meet with Steve and maybe his parents, the pastor brushed him off with a simplistic answer. You don't understand. But God knows. That day, that young man walked out of church and never again worshipped at a Christian church. The pastor's short-sighted response repelled this young man that you now would know as Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. He was repelled from the faith community and never entered another church again until his death. Now, we understand, those of us that have been around church, we have theological answers The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were disobedient. They partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they introduced sin into this human race. And sin, because of its nature and satanic utilization of sin, is the reason that we have death and suffering. So we have some theological answers that I could spend a long time talking to you about. But from then to now, pain, suffering, and the why questions have plagued people. Many times they have, and maybe you have friends, or maybe you've even struggled with a perspective or a perception that God is not a loving father, but a cruel taskmaster. And Satan amplifies that image to separate people from the very source of their answer, a heavenly father. People's opinion of who causes suffering and why suffering occurs is all over the map. The truth of the matter is, Almost everyone sometime in your life will be confronted with, if God really loved me, why would he let that happen? That's a question that all of us have to face. Even ministers have that question. It's especially real to me today, Wednesday night. This past Wednesday, my nephew, 35 years old, 
was found locked in a bathroom in New Orleans, Louisiana, and they assume he overdosed on heroin. Raised in church, the son of a pastor, my daughter's, my, my sister's son, my daughter's cousin. I talked to, ran by just chance, Johanna and I, flying out here on Friday, ran into his former youth pastor in the airport in Springfield, Missouri, and told him the tragic news. So I'm trying to say that nobody is exempt from Satan's lie. If God really loves you, why did he let that happen? What happened to Justin? How did he get on that road? Why couldn't he get off that road? Why nobody intersected him on that road? Only two people that he really have contact with from our world, not even his own mother. My mother, who's 95, was his grandmother. She talked to him regularly. And today, she's haunted because at 221 on Wednesday afternoon, he tried to call her. And at 95, you call her. She can't get to the phone. (laughs) Never gets to it. She has to call you back, and she never made that call. Why Why do bad things happen to good people? The other person that he from our family that he talked to is sitting on the front row over there, his Aunt Johanna. So I can tell you that whenever you have loss, whenever you have unexplained situations, whenever you have pain that doesn't seem to go away, when there are unexplained situations, and and those of you that live in in Chicago have the whole news has, has centered around struggles that's happened on your streets and in your neighborhoods and in your families perhaps. And Satan only takes that opportunity to amplify the question, if God really loved you, why would he let this happen? Hank was just a teenager. He lived on a houseboat docked in the Rhine River in Holland. World War II, you don't hear much about it. But the Dutch suffered a lot as well. And his dad was killed in a, in a work camp. They said it was of natural causes, but when they delivered his clothes back to the family, they were riddled with bullet holes and covered with blood. He was sitting there having Sunday lunch. His mother and his sister... He heard planes flying down the Rhine, a formation. We know now that it was an operation called Operation Market Garden. They were coming to liberate and to protect, but somehow a, a, a horrific mistake occurred. He, he, he went outside, walked on the game plate, got over on the shore, looked up, saw the Allied plane, just a teenager, just a young Dutch boy, curious and excited, and he started waving at these Allied planes, and somehow they made a horrific mistake, and they dropped a load of bombs on this innocent village. And when he fell into the dirt to try to protect himself from the explosions, of course he couldn't, but he somehow survived. And when he jumped up to look back at his house to see it had taken a direct hit, his houseboat, that's where he lived, it took a direct hit and exploded, and it was gone. 
He ran to the edge of the water. He never found any evidence that his sister had ever been alive. And wading into the waters of the Rhine, the only remains of his mother he could find was a little piece of scalp floating with some hair attached. And then he found her Bible. And just a teenager, he walked the streets of that village. As incomprehensible as it may seem to you and me today, he was the only survivor. And that day, Hank faced that same lie. If God really loved you, why would he let that happen? Stricken with grief, fear, anxiety, pain that wouldn't go away. He walked the streets of that village as the only survivor. Finally, he took his clenched fist holding the remains of his mother and he shook it into the heavens and he said, you're no God of love to me. I promise I will never bow my knee to you. Maybe you've never made that kind of statement. Maybe you have. See, we look at the original couple, Adam and Eve, and we learn about sin and its effects. And you can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. There's a lot of theological answers that may satisfy the brain or at least confront the brain. But when you're hurting emotionally, you need comfort. You need knowledge that God loves you, that your heavenly father is not like an abusive father that you may have encountered when you were a teenager or a child. You need to trust God. You need to have a God who will give you hope and not rejection. You see, love is a choice, trust is a decision, but hope is an emotion. When you don't have answers, when you don't understand the anger and the vitriol and the hatred that's so prevalent today, when you cannot understand unreasonable people, when violence and terrorism seems to be encroaching on places that it shouldn't be and sickness comes and untimely death, all of this appears to be so unfair and the evil seems to prevail and hope is destroyed for that's Satan's goal. John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Come on. That's what grace is all about. That's what providence is all about. And the third word I call to your attention is the word hope. That's Satan's goal. I know this doesn't sound very theological and it's certainly not very educated. But can I just suggest to you that from my perspective, I believe Satan is a hope sucker. (laughs) So you can live without oxygen for three, four minutes without brain damage, five at the most. You can live without water three days maybe. You can live without food 30, some say 40 days. How long can you live without hope? You take away a person's wealth and you hinder them. You take away their health and you handicap them. You take away their hope, you paralyze them. In fact, it's not just my opinion. It's not just some psychologist's opinion. It's a biblical opinion. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when bad things happen to good people, Satan takes that opportunity to drive a wedge between you and Father God. 
and to try to get you to blame the very one that has the answer to every problem that you have. You say, well, how does that happen? How do you lose hope? There's a lot of different ways. But let me suggest that if you want to look at a passage of Scripture that would help you, that you would turn to Romans chapter 4. That's just an overview of a story that's told in its entirety way back in the book of Genesis starting in chapter 12. And if you've been in Sunday school or you've been around church or you read the Bible, you know it's the story of Abram, later known as Abraham. When he's 75 years old, God gives him a promise. That promise says you're going to be the father of many nations, and that's going to happen because you're going to be able to have a son, a promised son, and from that son you're going to have the opportunity to have so many descendants. They're going to be so numerous that you could kind of get a picture if you look at the stars and the sand. Now, when you get to Romans chapter 4, you're 25 years down line from the promise. He's not 75 anymore. He's about 100. And Sarah, his wife, is 90. Sorry. But from a reproductive point of view, it kind of looks hopeless to me. <laughs> and don't you know every morning when he gets up and his feet hit the ground, the Satan screaming in his ear, you think you're going to be the father of many nations? Look how old she is. Look how old you are. There's no way the promise is going to be fulfilled. That's his business. He's the liar and the father of lies, and he'll continually be telling you that you can't, you won't, you never will. And he's a hope sucker. So how do you lose hope? First of all, it's when you react only to what you see. When you react only to what you see. I could put it another way. What you see is not necessarily what's going on. That's what the Bible is all about. In the Old Testament, the prophet says, open the eyes of my servant. Look, there's a whole host of people. What he was seeing wasn't what was going on. Jehoshaphat says, put the choir out front. I love your choir. Thank you, Sister Chrissy. I love this choir. But I tell you, in the Old Testament, they were not necessarily known for their fighting ability. Yet in the war, he put them out front. Why? Because their praise attracted the holy hitmen of heaven. And what they couldn't see is that God had holy hitmen getting ready to destroy the enemy. What you see is not necessarily what's going on. So, don't just react to what you see. Somebody says, well, if you deny reality, then you have faith. No, that's just presumption. See, he never denied how old he was. Look at verse 19. He didn't deny how old he was. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. That's a reality check. Since he was about 100 years old, that's not denial. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he saw truth, reality. So when we look around, we're not naive. We know there's some stuff going on. We know there's some struggles. We know there's some problems. But look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. So he didn't weaken in the promise 
Because he's been told, so shall thy offspring be. You say, well, how? In the face of all that reality, could he have such hope? Look at verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. That's the promise. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. Watch this now. Who gives life to the dead. <laughs> who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Somehow he had faith to believe that he served creator God. God Jehovah who is the provider. God has all the resources. And when you run out of your resources, you're going to run into his. So he understood that whatever was necessary for his 90-year-old wife to bring forth a son, if it was absent, God could create it. If it's broke, God could fix it. If it was sick, God could heal it. And when he said the dead are going to be raised to life again, look at your situation. Look at your finances. Look at your health. Look at your relationships. They may look dead, but I serve a God who can make alive that. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to be shouting, you've got victory because of God. Oh, hallelujah. Say, why y'all get so excited? Because <laughs> what you see is not necessarily what's going on. <laughs> well, couldn't you just camp right there? You could put your name in. You could put all your ills in. You could put all your doubts in. You could put all your questions in. In the presence of God who believes who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. <laughs> Second reason you lose hope. Because of impatience. I mean, he's now a hundred. He's been waiting on the miracle for 25 years. We're Americans. I don't care how long you've been here, you're still in America, and we are wired tight. <laughs> this morning, we were coming in, hardly anybody on the freeway. This truck wanted to be in our lane. <laughs> Because he's wanting to get somewhere in a hurry. <laughs> I ain't impatient. You say, well, I'm not impatient. How long have you ever stood in front of... I, come on now. Get real. You stood in front of your microwave oven and tapped your foot because it wasn't working fast enough. <laughs> we got more technology than you can ever imagine, and we're more impatient than we've ever been. We can't wait 25 years for a miracle. We can't wait 25 months. Some of us can't wait 25 minutes. Some of us can't wait 25 seconds. Go to the supermarket. You ever been in the supermarket and in the express lane? 20 items or less? You're counting the dude in front of you and they got 20... They got 23 items... You'll lose your anointing for four days over three cans of beans. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh about it. You're guilty. You're guilty. I am too. Well, our problem is <laughs> we're microwave Christians and we got a crock pot God. <laughs> Get it right if you tweet it. I didn't say crack pot. <laughs> Come on. He's in the simmering. He's in the marinating. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem to be endued with power from on high. Come on. Oh. 
I got more, but let me hurry. I got to wrap this up. <laughs> Go to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. While you turn there, just let me give you the other reason you lose hope. I don't have time to develop it, but I think you'll get it. You lose hope when you think it's up to you to bring forth a miracle. See, you start trying to do stuff in the flesh. I could give you the whole story. You remember it? When he was in his early 80s, Sarah came to him and said, I'm not going to be able to produce the child, so I'm bringing my handmaiden, Hagar, and she'll produce the child. And then they created Ishmael, and we've been struggling with that ever since then. And that's another story. Go to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Show you how hope is developed. Are you ready? May the God of hope. Stop right there. Who is the source of hope? (sighs) Take a deep breath. It's off your shoulders. (laughs) He's the source. Well, how can I have confidence in that? Read his bio. (laughs) Brother Al didn't tell you about my past for my benefit. I lived it. My assistant wrote it. (laughs) It's not to stroke my ego. It's to qualify me to stand in this pulpit. Most of you came, and when you found out you were going to have a guest speaker, it bummed you out. You wanted to hear your pastor. Who is this dude? He's some guy from Springfield. He's one of those bureaucrats that can't say anything or do anything. But you say, why would I want to listen to him? You read God's Bible. You say, where's his Bible? Old Testament. His past performance is an accurate predictor of his future behavior. Just look at the children of Israel. They didn't deserve. I mean, they were pretty negative. I'd rather be back in Egypt. I like that food back there. Really? God says, you got to eat. Two and a half million of you. 1,500 tons of man a day, that's what you needed. You haven't got much manna, you got to give them water to drink. 11 million gallons a day, that's how much they needed. Six million dollars a day in today's economy. They didn't do that for one day or five days or ten days. They did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. Added up 21,900,000 tons of man, 160 billion gallons of water at the tune of six million dollars a day for 14,000. Are you getting the picture? You think you're going to walk into the throne room of heaven with your little teacup and run it dry? I don't think so. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That's faith. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So God is the source of hope. Faith is the substance of hope. The Holy Spirit is the supplier of hope. Wouldn't you like to have been with Sarah when she went to the doctor? Maybe I'm weird, but I'd love to have been there. 90 years old, walks in, sits down, all these young ladies in there glowing and giggling, and they say, Grandma, I think you're in the wrong room. (laughs) 
we're having babies in here. They're giving out Geritol down the hall. <laughs> no, I'm having a baby. <laughs> How are you going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Pastor Al says, you know what? <laughs> we're going to get this property and we're going to pay for it. How are we going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you think we got the capacity to do it? I don't know. She's 90. But somebody's getting ready to play with a baby. <laughs> I don't know how old you are. I don't know what your qualifications are. I don't know how unlimited your supply is. I'm just telling you, if God said it, he's promised it, he can do it. He's the one who supplies the hope by the power of the hope. Well, we need more people involved in leadership. We got to go through that class that get the DNA of a leader in us. You think I can be one? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Come on now. This Bible is full of nobodies that God made somebodies out of. Moses stuttered. That's not a great leadership gift. Timothy had ulcers. What a pastoral minister is that? Come counsel with me. I got ulcers. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. That'll hinder your ministry. <laughs> Elijah was burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Spent all his time looking for Dr. Phil, trying to pop a little Prozac. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not in the Bible. I made that up, okay? Don't. <laughs> Are you hearing me? <laughs> How's hope restored by the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't have time to tell you the whole story exactly, but Hank survived two concentration camps sent by the Royal Dutch Army to Indonesia. Met a little Chinese Buddhist girl there. They fell in love. They got married 30 days after their wedding. He was deported back to Holland. She went with him. Demon spirits trailed her. All kinds of un... I mean, she missed her family. He was bitter and angry because of the loss in his life. One day some neighbors, I don't know if they tricked her or what, she thought they were going to Amsterdam to see the lights and go to a party. They ended up in a Billy Graham meeting. She'd never seen Billy Graham. She'd never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She had never been in a gospel service. She was Buddhist. But Billy Graham said, Jesus is going to come down and talk to you. And guess what? He did. It was a vision, but he talked to her. And when he gave the invitation, Billy Graham did. He said, I want you to come forward. And a little Chinese Buddhist walked down that aisle. And a Chinese believer walked back up that aisle. Change. But come on. How's hope restored? By the power of the Holy Spirit. She went home and told Hank, thinking he'd be happy about this transition and this transformation in her life. He was angry. That's the God he hated. That's the one he shook his fist at and said, you're no God of love to me. She started going to a little church in Arnhem. He didn't like God, but he liked people. And he liked potlucks. So go ahead and serve your coffee and your scones out there. Some people just come for the free coffee. But if you hang around long enough... What we possess is contagious. <laughs> this man who vowed he would never bow his knee, he was sitting in a meeting just to honor his wife. 
somebody said, let's bow and pray. And he thought, well, that won't be a problem. He forgot, I guess, about the vow he made. And when his knee touched the ground, something exploded inside of him and grace touched him. That's, that's a story that's special to me because Hank's daughter is sitting over here on the front row. If it wouldn't be for Johanna's dad and mom being changed by grace, she wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Come on, that's the hope that we have. When she was 10 years old, they immigrated to the United States, went to a little western Kansas town called Garden City, started attending Assemblies of God Church. I went there as a single evangelist. We had a great meeting, Selah. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this room. There's people here that Satan has lied to and said that... There's no hope. Your family is ruined. Your relationship is broken. Your money's gone. Your health is gone. They seem hopeless. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. By the power of the Holy Spirit today, Lord, we're going to see them revived. We're going to see them revived. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just out of respect for your neighbor's response. I spent this whole message telling you it's not hopeless, but in reality, that's not exactly true. I'm not trying to be deceptive. I'm just trying to tell you that it is hopeless for one person in this room. I've been talking about emotional needs. I've been talking about emotional struggles, fear, doubt, unbelief, agnosticism, atheism, talking about how you can be led astray by your emotions it is not hopeless there's answers for you today but if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior or you have recurring sin that keeps coming back and you you kind of are disenfranchised you're kind of dissected and delineated and disconnected because of this sin you need to come back home rededicate your life the only way to get that done, the only way for grace, we've been talking about grace, the only way for my dad to get saved, the only way for Johanna's mother to get saved, she had to ask. For the Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what's that mean, Alton? It means you got to go first. So I'm going to ask two questions today. One is about your spiritual need. One is about your emotional need. First, let's deal with the spiritual need. If you're here and you have unconfessed sin in your life, whether you've never accepted him as Savior, where he is not Lord of your life at this time, or you feel disconnected because this recurrent sin keeps separating you from God, if you want grace the same way my father, the same way Johanna's mother, the same way Johanna's father, they were changed and hope came back into their life. It can happen for you today, but you got to ask Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here and you want that kind of connection, you want Jesus to apply his grace and his love because he died for you, put your hand up right now and say, pray for me. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. 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 There's somebody coming down the aisle right now to give you an opportunity to personalize this. 
go ahead, workers, and you can, if you want to get, could we all stand? Have you identified the people with their hands lifted? Second question I have for you is if you are here today and you have emotional distress and you, feel, you say, well, my hope tank is not as empty as Johanna's father's was. I never would have clenched my fist and said, you're no God of love to me. I'll never bow my knee. But if your hope tank is not on full, you could use a dose of hope today. How many would say, Alton, before you leave here, pray for me that I'll have hope. <laughs> Come on, hands are up all over this room. Can I pray a prayer with you? Would you pray with me? I don't know. There's 10 or 20 people that raised their hands. I'm going to pray with you. And if you pray in faith, believing you can be saved. There's somebody that loves you and cares about you and wants to help you. Do they meet back there, Brother Al? Where would they go? Okay, back there at the back. But I'm going to pray with you first. And then I'm going to pray for all those with emotional needs. Would you join with me and say these words in faith after we pray? I say them, you say them. Are you ready? Don't be timid. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life with all of its failures, all of its faults, all of its unconfessed sin. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Save me. I declare that you're the Savior and my Lord. I repent of every sin. Now that I know I'm qualified for heaven, I need help to live in this world. Satan, I'm not your child. I'm a child of the King. You've tried to destroy my hope. You fill me with doubt and fear and emotional distress. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I receive today hope in Jesus' name. Come on, praise him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before you go, there's a product table out there, a resource table, and there are two things I want to tell you about because they help bring hope. First, Johanna's book called Tangled Destinies is the story in detail I told about her dad and her mother. Johanna's father's in heaven, died an untimely death because of an accident. Her mother raised seven children. I have seven videos embedded in this book. You can access them with a QR code off your smartphone. You say, I'm a little older, Alton. I don't get that. Talk to your grandchildren. They'll show you how to do it. You can actually see Johanna's mother at 86 years old telling you in about a four or five minute video how she had a vision of Jesus and came. You're talking about hope being restored. This book, you pick it up. You won't be able to lay it down. Plus, some of you may think, I not only need this, but I know somebody else that does. This book can help you become a hope dispenser. Freely you've received, freely give. A few months ago, I went into the studio and recorded a new CD, a piano CD. 
Battle Hymn I played is on there. There's some other kinds of music on there, not just classical, some old hymns, a couple of toe-tapping South Texas camp meeting music. Then I did two things I've never done. I put two stories on there. One is about my mother when my dad had Alzheimer's, lost her hope, and how God let him preach one final sermon after he was brain dead to restore her hope. This CD has touched thousands. I never dreamed. I thought I was just making a CD album of me playing the piano, but I felt inspired to put these two stories. One is how God brings you through. My dad was healed of paralysis when his neck was broken. And then how God delivers you out. Both are designed to help you have hope. They're just $10 each. Somebody will be back there to help you. If you want multiple copies to give away, one man, businessman, said, I've already given away 40 of these, not just to my family. Whenever somebody comes in my office and they seem a little down and they're a little hopeless, I just pick it up and say, hey, put this in your car and play it. See what God will do for you. Let God bless you to become a hope dispenser. Amen. God bless you. Am I right? You're dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord.